take your Bibles and open them with me again to the book of Nehemiah this week to Nehemiah chapter 3. We'll be in chapters 3 and 4 this morning. About 230 years ago, a British Baptist by the name of William Carey penned a small booklet called An Inquiry into the Use of Means for Converting the Heathen. Uh, it's a, it was a, a booklet uh, that was meant to revive the desires of British Baptists in the 18th century to the call of uh, mission work around the world. And in that booklet, short title of it called An Inquiry, he said about his fellow Englishmen that multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. Just a few weeks after penning and publishing this booklet, Carey preached a sermon at the Baptist Association meeting in Nottingham, England, in which he had two points in his sermon from Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3. Point number one, expect great things from God. Point number two, attempt great things for God. Expect great things, attempt great things. It was trust in God and determination for the mission of God that were all over the life of this man, William Carey, this British Baptist. And that phrase, expect great things, attempt great things, very quickly became the motto of the Baptist Missionary Society as it was founded later that year, with William Carey himself being the inspiration the, for the Baptist Mission Society, the, the first appointed missionary of that society, and making William Carey himself commonly understood to be the founder of the modern missions movement. In fact, there would probably be not quite much like what we see in terms of taking the gospel to the nations if it were not for the inspiration of this man. Expect great things. Attempt great things. Trust God. Do the work that he's called you to do in a determined fashion. As we come now to Nehemiah chapters 3 and 4, we'll find the people of Israel, uh, or the, the Jews that had returned to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon, now coming together to begin building the wall that Nehemiah has been inspired and led by God to lead the people to do. And so they begin building. And as they do so, they encounter more resistance. And in the midst of increased resistance from the enemies around them, they again renew their trust in God to defend them against their adversaries. And so this truth rises to the fore of these two chapters. This is our main idea this morning, that those who trust God live with mission determination. Those who trust God, like these Jews that return from exile, live with determination to fulfill the mission that God has given to them. And so as we see this truth displayed in Scripture, may we also, as God's new covenant people by faith in Christ, may we come to so trust in the person and the power of God that we would not only be motivated, but that we would also be undeterred to carry out the mission that God has given to His church. Would you stand with me as we honor God by reading His Word, Nehemiah chapter 3, just verses 1 and 2 to start. The Holy Spirit says through Nehemiah, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakor, the son of Imri, built. This is God's word. You may be seated. 
We could go on and on and keep reading all of the various names and all of the places that uh, these people rebuilt around Jerusalem, uh, but I don't want to put you all through the torture of hearing me butcher a bunch of Hebrew names. So I encourage you, though, this week, th- these names are not meaningless, and the places that they rebuilt uh, are, are not pointless. They're worth our attention. They're worth our consideration. Uh, but, uh, but for our, our purposes this morning, we'll look primarily at the principles on display in Nehemiah chapter 3. The, the main principle there in Nehemiah chapter 3 is this, that trust in God fuels determined effort for God. Trust in God fuels, it motivates, it drives a determined effort for God and the mission that he's given his people. In Nehemiah 3, we get this long list of names and the various occupations of the people in Jerusalem who joined the work of rebuilding the wall around the city. And the progression of the description of of the building of the city uh, or the building of the wall around the city begins at the north end of the city at the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate was at the the northern wall of the temple in Jerusalem. It was the gate through which they brought sheep for uh, sacrifice for sins in the temple. And the priests rise up to build that. And then the building moves, the description of the building moves counterclockwise around the rest of the city, ending where it began. Two things are notable about Nehemiah chapter 3. First of all, The collective effort of the Jews to rebuild the wall comes right on the heels of Nehemiah's God-trusting leadership. Do you remember how chapter 2 ended? If you don't, you just go back and look at chapter 2, verse 20. Nehemiah says to his adversaries who are trying to stop them from building the wall, he says to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Nehemiah, we saw last week, is a man totally dependent, totally trusting upon the power of God and the leadership of God to to fulfill through them his own mission. And it's Nehemiah's great confidence in the good hand of God that, that is infectious among the people. The people of Jerusalem are roused by Nehemiah's faith, and they are roused by their trust even in God to do this work for God's glory. Dear friends, this morning, do not underestimate the power of God. Do not underestimate the strengthening effect uh, upon others of great faith in God. Do you desire, Christian, to do great things for the sake of Christ and the gospel? Good. Begin by trusting God. Do you long to see your brothers and sisters join you in the effort to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations, to hard-to-reach people next door to us and hard-to-reach people around the world in places like Kuwait? That is your heart's desire? Very good. Encourage those, your brothers and sisters, with your deep trust in God to come alongside with you. Trust in God fuels determined effort for Him. In chapter 3, Nehemiah and the people who are rebuilding demonstrate the truth of Psalm 127, verse 1, a truth which the church needs to understand today too, that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is God who completes his mission in the world. It is God who expands his kingdom among the hearts of those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ who builds his church, and yet he builds it through the faithful, trusting, determined effort of those that he has called by his grace to himself. The collective effort of the people comes from God-trusting leadership. And we see also in chapter 3 that the collective effort of the people in Jerusalem is truly collective. Everybody is really involved. There's a reason I won't read to you all of the names, mostly because there are so many of them. 
We find in chapter 3 that there's hardly a person or a family in all of the city of Jerusalem at that time who was not involved in the work of building the wall. Moreover, there's hardly a person who in the city does not set aside their other tasks, their other employment, their other duties in order to join the work. As you read through Nehemiah chapter 3 this week, you'll see people like priests from chapter 3 verse 1, Eliashib the high priest and others, priests who are setting aside or, or in their spare time uh, uh, apart from working in the temple are working on the wall. You'll find in verse 8 and verses 31 and 32, craftsmen and commercialists that are involved in rebuilding the wall, goldsmiths, perfumers, merchants, commerce people, people who who otherwise would have made a very good living at the, the crafts that they were engaged in, but who set those things aside to help to build the wall. Verses 9 through 18 tell us of a number of different governmental leaders. These are sort of uh, uh, provincial rulers within Jerusalem that were were responsible for administration of a, a particular area of the city. We see even whole families engaged in the work. Chapter 3, verse, verse 12 tells us of Shalom and his daughters that were involved in building. We see also in verse 17 the Levites. Levites were those who were from the tribe of Levi, but not from the line of Aaron. Uh, those that were in the line of Aaron, the brother of Moses, were the ones that served as priests. Levites were the men from the tribe of Levi, and they served as servants in the temple. They were kind of like housekeepers for the temple in many ways. Even the Levites are involved in building the wall. There's one notable exception to those who do not build, and that is in chapter 3, verse 5. There we read that next to them, the sons of, Zad- uh, the, the sons of Zadok and his family... Next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Apparently, among all the people in Jerusalem who were willing to set aside everything to build, to help to rebuild this wall, there was one group, nobles among the Tekoites, who said, that work is beneath us. Understand this this morning, church, there is not a person among God's people who is not called to glorify him in the world. Among God's new covenant people in Christ, among Christians, there is not a one of us who is not called to the work of being witnesses to the gospel of Jesus and those who make disciples of Jesus. It's a call for all of us. May it be so that there would never be a one of us in our church who would ever say, that's beneath me. I won't stoop to do that work. We see that God's people have always, not just in Nehemiah, but especially in the New Covenant age, taken to this call of everyone being involved in the work that God has given in the gospel that God has called us to proclaim to the world. We see it uh, in the earliest days of the church in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, the church of Jesus Christ begins gathering together for the very first time to do the work of the gospel. Listen to how Luke, the writer of Acts, describes their gathering. He says in Acts 2, beginning in verse 42, that they, the church, the Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Trust in God 
fuels determined effort for God. And we see that on display in the many names and occupations of people that were involved in rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And so also the call is to every Christian, everyone who is trusted in Christ for salvation, get to work, fulfill the mission, trust God, and let your faith in Him drive, motivate your determination to make disciples of all nations and to do that together. So the story, the narrative of Nehemiah moves on to chapter 4. Follow along in your Bibles with me. Now when Sanballat, we've heard of him before, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places... I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction Half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail, and the leaders who stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other, and each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we're separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. If chapter 3 demonstrates for us that trusting God motivates determined work for God, then chapter 4 shows us that trust in God creates determination in the face of resistance. 
verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4, we see a, 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 a new resistance gathering uh, against the people of Jerusalem. As work on the wall begins, Sanballat is enraged. This is a kind of illogical and unhinged kind of anger. The way that Nehemiah describes it, the, this is Sanballat flying off the handle uh, at the thought that the Jews would actually go about building what he's tried to stop them from doing. And so Sanballat returns to his previous uh, scheme, his previous plan to stop the Jews, and he insults them in front of the Samaritans that he rules over. He's here in this scene posturing as a strong man, and so Tobiah joins in with him. In this scene, the two look kind of like schoolyard bullies trying to assert their dominance on the playground, and their tactics are similar to playground bullies. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, stick your head in doo-doo. Their their plot is to demean the Jews and to distract them from their work by insulting them. However, the danger that they pose is far greater than that of a schoolyard bully. These people have weapons and armies at their disposal. This is more than just teasing and taunting. In verses 4 and 5, we see Nehemiah's response. For now, the third time in just four chapters of Nehemiah... The man who is leading the rebuilding effort returns to God in trusting prayer. Nehemiah's response to the jeering and taunting of Sanballat and Tobiah is just as it was in chapter 2. He trusts God and he prays. Now listen, Nehemiah's prayer is of the imprecatory sort. It's the sort of dash the heads of our enemies against the rocks sort of prayer. He is asking for God to punish his enemies. Now, at first glance, as Christians, we're reading Nehemiah's prayer here in chapter 4, and and, and we're remembering in our minds what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We may stop and think, Nehemiah's out of line here. Who, Who is he to pray that God would destroy his enemies, punish his enemies? But I would encourage you this morning to see that Nehemiah is not praying in contradiction to what Jesus later commands. Rather, Nehemiah's prayer in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 4 is a prayer of total trust and confidence in God who always judges justly. He knows from Deuteronomy 32 verse 35 that vengeance belongs to the Lord alone. And this is a prayer for divine justice to come from God who never judges unjustly, never judges wrongly. And in his prayer, Nehemiah is submitting his desire for human vindication to the will and work of God on his behalf. Nehemiah knows it's not for him to carry out judgment upon his enemies. Rather, he says, God, you always judge justly. This seems a grave injustice against you, so you judge it the way that you will. And after praying, do you see what happens in verse 6? Work resumes. Nehemiah prays, and then verse 6, so we built the wall. The people's continued trust in God inspires their determination to complete this nine-foot-thick wall around the city of Jerusalem to half of its height. So the wall's only, at this point, halfway as tall as it needs to be, but its, but its thickness is full, and it's already gone all the way around the city. And don't miss the truth that Nehemiah reveals to us in his prayer. He reveals that those who oppose God's purposes are opposed to God himself. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Those who oppose God's purposes are opposed to God himself. Again, 
We know that as we live under the new covenant of God's grace in Christ, that his purpose is not to build a city inhabited by a single ethnicity of people, but rather to build his kingdom in the hearts of people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and ethnicity around the globe. Christian, are you for this mission? Do you long to see people who don't look like you, who don't sound like you, who don't sing like you or eat like you or dress like you to know the glory of salvation through faith in Jesus? If so, excellent. You are a friend of God and his partner in his purposes. But on the other hand, if your desire, even as one who considers him or herself a Christian, if your desire is only to take the gospel to people who look like you, only to take the gospel to people who sound like you, who vote like you, who dress like you. Dear friend, you are, not, you are at grave risk of becoming an enemy to, God's, to God and to his purposes. Be wary, dear Christian, be wary of the temptation to substitute God's global, multi-ethnic plan of redemption with ethnic, political, or nationalistic superiority. You may well find yourself as the recipient of God's strong discipline. Friend, perhaps you're here this morning and you're confused about this assertion that we can be friends of God, not knowing whether you are a friend of God or whether you are his foe, whether you are his enemy. As you consider this, I point you to the great hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that all of us are enemies of God. All of us in our sin have rebelled against his purposes, his intention for us to be his living beacons of his glory in the world. All of us would rather reflect our own glory, seek our own praise, our own adoration, our own worship. We would all rather be gods and goddesses of our own lives. We have every one of us made ourselves an enemy, a foe to God. But the good news of the gospel is this, that God demonstrates his love for us, his creatures, and that while we were still sinners, rebels against God, that Christ died for us. Jesus, the very Son of God, God in human flesh, without sin, died for those who were enemies to God. Friend, if you don't know, if you are a friend of God today, you may have confidence even now if, in knowing that you are a friend of God if you will simply turn to God in faith, confess your sin to Him, seek His forgiveness through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, and call on Jesus as Lord and master of your life. You need have no question whether you're a friend of God or his foe. You can be his friend and know you are his friend today through faith in his son, Jesus. As Nehemiah 4 moves on and the people continue building, we find in verses 7 and 8 and 10 through 12 more plots and schemes from the enemies of Judah. It doesn't take very long, we find, for Sanballat and his crew to escalate their resistance, to go from taunting, which was not able to stop the work, now to plotting and scheming to disrupt the work by violence. And so Sanballat and Tobiah and their various armies and other people that they're influencing start spreading rumors around the region of Judah in the settlements surrounding Jerusalem that they're going to attack by night and stop the building. The people in the outlying areas outside of Jerusalem who hear these threats become very afraid and they call their family members who are working in the Jerusalem to come home to protect them. It seems at first that Sanballat may succeed, 
But just as before, Nehemiah responds even to this threat again. He responds in verse 9 and verses 13 and 14 with prayer and perseverance. Verse 9 of chapter 4 tells us two things. Verse 9, Nehemiah says, And we prayed to our God, and we set a guard as protection against them day and night. First of all, this verse tells us that the people facing increasing threat first pray. Their first step to respond to resistance is to pray, to call on God who has called them to this work. They know who has called them. They know who is prospering their work. And with full trust in God, they pray for his continued help. And second, verse 9 tells us that these people took action to encourage their determined effort. With their trust in God, nothing will deter them. Nothing will stop them from from completing this project. So Nehemiah sets a guard around the city. He calls the clans of Judah together from the peripheral neighborhoods outside the wall to gather together in the city. And he tells them, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who delivered our ancestors from slavery in Egypt with a strong hand and a mighty, with a strong hand and a mighty arm. And he calls the people to protect God's work by fighting, if necessary, for those that they love. To fight for the people of God. The final verses of this chapter show us that the mission, show us, demonstrate for us the mission determination of these people. We see that in verses 15 through 23, the determination to complete what God has called them to do. God, by wisdom and through the prayer of the people, thwarts the plans of Sanballat and Tobiah. And the people keep on building. Every day, moving forward, they will build with an eye toward the horizon, ready to defend the work and their families if an attack should come. Those that are carrying supplies in the city carry their load in one hand and they carry a sword in the other one. Builders keep a trowel in one hand and a sword at their side. Their mission is to rebuild the city and the wall around it, the city of God's people. Their mission is not to fight a war. But they're ready for battle if necessary. If a skirmish breaks out, the people will rally to the the point of fighting where Nehemiah uh, reminds them that our God will fight for us. Now certainly Nehemiah understands, because he's called the people to, that it'll be the Judahites that are swinging swords and thrusting spears in battle. But Nehemiah wants the people to know that the same God that they've been trusting all along is the one who will empower their defense against their enemies. Does the gospel and the church of God have enemy conspirators today? Of course they do. Of course they do. But this is nothing new, friends. We know this. In the first years of the church of Jesus Christ in Acts, its leaders, Peter and John, encountered resistance similar to this. They were arrested and beaten and commanded not to speak the name of Jesus. With all their trust In their friend and risen Savior Jesus, Peter and John replied to their adversaries, to the Jewish council that had them arrested. They say in Acts chapter 4, verse 19, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Being eventually released and not charged, these men return to their friends in the church and they share what happened. We were arrested. They told us not to preach. We said, we can't stop preaching. And the whole church in Acts chapter 4 responds with trusting prayer to God and added mission determination. Hear what Luke says of the church in Acts chapter 4. When the church heard it, the news from Peter and John, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth 
and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're praying from Psalm chapter 2. They continue, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Listen, those who trust God live with mission determination. They don't take defense of the gospel into their own hands. They know that God will do it. They know that God will complete the work that he has called them to do. And he'll complete it through them. And they return regularly over and again to God in confident prayer to do what he said he would do. Dear friends, there's a call to the church this morning that knowing that trust in God emboldens our mission determination in the face of resistance to rely on Him. When despised for your faith in Jesus, when reviled and insulted because you trust a risen Savior, don't respond with reviling for reviling or insult for insult, but pray, God, complete your mission through me. Only God give me boldness to keep preaching. You do the rest. Those who trust in God live with mission determination. The year following his sermon in which he said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, William Carey and his friend John Thomas, along with their families, were the first missionaries commissioned by the Baptist Missionary Society. They would find their calling and their assignment in India. And with much difficulty, William Carey learned to speak Bengali. But for many years, his preaching of the gospel had no response by the people. His first convert to the faith in India was not made until seven years after uh, arriving in India as a missionary. And William Carey lived the final 41 years of his life as a servant of the gospel to the Bengalese people in India. And at the end of four decades of preaching the gospel, he could only count 700 converts as a result of his ministry in a nation of millions. William Carey did not think much of the work that he had completed there. I would say, Brother Carey, one man reaching 700 for Christ, bro, that's huge. Though Carey may have finished his work with some disappointment, he did leave behind him at his death full Bible translations in six languages and partial translations of the Bible in 209 other languages and dialects. His life and his death on mission for the kingdom of God inspired the likes of other missionaries like Adoniram Judson, who served in Burma, Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China, David Livingston, who served in Africa. William Carey trusted God, and he lived with unparalleled mission determination. His expectation of God to do great things fueled his passionate attempt at doing great things. For the glory of God and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters of First Baptist West Albuquerque, may our trust in God as members of this church fuel our determination to complete the mission of God. May we be those who trust Him and live with mission determination. Let us pray that God would make it so.